Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Follow along with me. I'm going to read verses 21 to 24, and we're calling this section the desperate request. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. We know from the context of chapter 5, Jesus and his disciples had gone over the Sea of Galilee and they had encountered a huge storm, so much so that the little boat that they were in was filling up with the waves. And these seasoned fishermen were freaking out because they had lost, I'm sure they had lost some, some comrades. Um, of course, that's a Russian term. You can't use comrades. So um, they, they had lost um, colleagues. Okay, there's a good one. But Jesus was asleep in the boat because he knew what the Father wanted him to do. And he stood up at their cry and saying, Lord, don't you care? We are perishing. And he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it all went calm immediately, which left them to bailing out the water in the boat. The text doesn't say, but think about it. If the boat is filling up, where's the water going to go? They get to the other side, and according to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, there's two men who are demon-possessed, and they are absolutely out of control. And Jesus has this ability to cast out those demons from those two men, and they went into a herd of swine. And those demons drove that herd of swine right down um, off the cliff into the water, and they all perished. Now, what are they doing raising unclean pigs? But here we have a situation where it's the first mentioned of deviled ham in the scriptures. So anyway, Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat, and you notice there's no storm on the way back. Could it be that the storm was caused by Satan to try to stop what was about to happen? It's an interesting thought. So Jesus makes his way back to Capernaum. The boat lands on the shore, and all of a sudden, people find out Jesus is back. Now, by this time, several miracles had been occurring, and the news was going all throughout the village. And Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, hears that Jesus is coming back, and he races to where Jesus is. Now, the ruler of the synagogue was one who took care of the place, kind of like the the, um, 
not the janitor, but the one who took care of the building and made sure everything was nice for their services and also selected the person to read the scriptures during the synagogue service. And you know, Jesus um, was involved with this. As a matter of fact, it's very possible that his was the synagogue where Jesus told the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. Jairus had a firsthand view of, of just having Jesus in his face, basically. And no matter what anybody else said, he personally had come to the place of faith that Jesus could actually heal anyone who was sick. And even though he was a man of position and a man known throughout the village of Capernaum, he didn't care what anybody else thought because he became desperate. And desperation puts you in a place where you just put aside all things that seem to want to hold you back normally. He was so desperate, he didn't care about what other people thought. He didn't care if it was proper or appropriate. He had to find Jesus because his little daughter of 12 years old was dying at the point of death. He had to get Jesus. His faith had grown to that point. He had to get to Jesus. Verses 22 and 23 tell us, And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. Actually, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, records his approach this way. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. He fell down at his feet. And you know, when you're in a desperate situation and you're trying to call out to Jesus to help, you will get down on your knees. I've been there. I know what that feels like. You're desperate. And you're coming to the one that you believe can help the situation. He calls her my little daughter. Now she's 12 years old now. And by the way, you parents, even though you have kids that are in your 50s, they're still your little kids because you remember them. You know, my oldest son, Micah, some of you know him now. He's 50 years old. We remember when he was little. And he had so much energy. Well, let's just go on, okay? Um, <laughs> he was, she was 12 years old. By the way, the only daughter, all their hopes were put into her. What's, what's it going to be like for her when she grows up? And you know, and you coming into her own as a young woman at 12... He's probably a matchmaker in town that was trying to pick out boys that would be a good match. I mean, it's a small little Jewish village. 
all the dreams of mom and dad for this little girl, what it was going to be like, what her wedding was going to be like, what her future was going to be like. For 12 years, it was just a time of joy and focus and excitement. And all of a sudden, all of those dreams, all of those plans, all of those hopes are dying along with their little girl. And they can't fix it. They're desperate. And by the way, later on in the text, we'll find out that the professional mourners and the flute players that normally come in at a, at a funeral like this when someone dies, they're already on their way because by the time Jesus gets there, they're already in the house and they're doing their thing. So this is right at the point of death. Jairus is desperate to get to Jesus. And we see him here. I know what it's like to be in desperate situations. I've shared in an earlier study about our second son, Jesse, who had spinal meningitis when he was two weeks old and, and how that, uh, it was just going to be uh, terrible, all the, all the after effects. We've been in situations where we had no money at all and bills were due and the threat was there to be evicted out of our house. And as hard as we would try to come up with resources, you know, we just couldn't have enough and barely made it through. There are times when crises happened in our home with our children. You know, desperate times. I remember taking care of my dad because he was dying. And he wanted to be taken care of by his own flesh and blood. And so we brought him to our house under hospice care. And we didn't know how long it was going to last. And then we had uh, care workers that would come in. And, and I, I mean, some of them we had to send away because that they just looked at it as a time to chew gum and watch TV and not, not care. And your dad is dying upstairs in your house. You're desperate. So in verse 24, it says, Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. I can just picture Jairus. Jesus said, I, you know, I will go. I'll go with you. So what's he doing? He's leading the way to his house. Come on, come on. We have to hurry. And then there's this throng. A group of people just absolutely swamping Jesus. Sometimes we want Jesus to, you know, to come through, but it seems like circumstances and other people just, you know, how come you're not coming through for me? How come you're delaying? Can't you just, I mean, Moses parted the water. Can't you just park the throng and get to my house? Well, let's go on. Verse 25 in our second section called The Desperate Reach. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. 
Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You saw the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And by the way, one of the other gospels said it was Peter who kind of was involved with that. And he looked around to see who who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, Woman, your faith. He called her daughter. I can't help but think there's a connection to Jairus. But let's talk about this lady. An unnamed woman over the past 12 years had nothing but loss after loss after loss, not only physically, but socially. Because with that hemorrhage, she was counted in that society as unclean, so people would stay away. We, we kind of know what that's like. Somebody comes by us that has COVID, and all of a sudden we're exposed, and all of a sudden we have to quarantine. <laughs> you know? And so people stayed away from those that were unclean because it messed up their social life. It messed up everything. And so here she was fighting with this ostracization for 12 years, people keeping away from her. It wasn't just her physically becoming anemic for the loss of blood, but it was being ostracized in society. Not that she had leprosy, but she was still considered unclean. Economically, whatever resources that she had were depleting to zero. And spiritually, she hadn't been to the temple in 12 years. You can kind of feel that God has forgotten you when you have a long-term illness because you fight with it, you fight with it, you fight with it, and you just can't pretend it's not there. And the reason I'm bringing this out has to do with Jairus and how he sees the interruption with his need. We'll talk about that in a minute. Every time she came up with enough money to go to another physician to endure, sometimes the most inhumane of treatments, she came up only worse. Maybe that's a a perfect description of what you're going through right now. Those of you listening online, those of you listening on Grace FM, that's pretty much sums up how things have been for a long time. Your marriage is rubbish. Your relationship is in the dregs. Everything you have tried is just not working at all. Wayward children 
abusive parents. It's hard. It's so very hard. Is there hope? It comes back to Jesus. We want the situation changed before we we are changed on the inside. But God cares about us, not just during this life, but in the life to come as well. And he wants to work in us to make himself real to us, first of all, on the inside, before he ever changes it on the outside. There's a reason he delays. It's not because he's evil or because he's mean or he lacks compassion. It's quite the opposite. But it needs to be done his way and in his time. And when we're desperate, all we can think about is now. I want it now. Now, now. Come on. And anything that hinders that, we can fire at. Here is this woman hearing about all that Jesus had been doing in the village. And there was this spark of hope that rose in her heart saying, you know, if I can just get to him, he's the great physician. Now, how, did, how was she able to get to Jesus in the throng? Well, it's interesting that she touched the hem of his garment, which is down below. I mean, my picture is that she crawled on her hands and knees to get to the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, some commentators say that that was the the edges of the prayer shawl that he was wearing as a rabbi and touching, you know, the the seat seat, uh, uh, cords that were hanging down on the corners of that um, tallit. But a fascinating thing happened when she touched the the hem of his garment, the border of his garment, Jesus felt power go out of him. Now, he he was flesh and blood. He was fully human, but also he was fully God. And he, it says, he said it. He felt power going out from him to heal her. And what's amazing to me as I read this, I'm going, yeah, but the multitudes were thronging him. How come they didn't? I mean, how come no power went out from him when all the multitudes were thronging him? Oh, Jesus, 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 you know, and, and they're all, you know, around him, thronging him. And even the disciples were like, what? Are you kidding? Who touched you? I mean, what are you saying, Rabbi? He didn't even see her come, but but he sensed the power going forth from him. And he turned and he said, somebody touched me. And he turned and saw the woman. And it's important what he said to her after she fessed up and told the whole truth. How embarrassing was all that? But the fact that she was healed. Here's what he says in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. In other words, it's it's not my garment. It's your faith in me. Sometimes we just want formulas. We want something that we can touch, 
something that we can say, you know what, I was healed when I grabbed onto both sides of this podium. Anybody that wants to be healed, come up here, grab both sides. It's got to be in the podium. I mean, when you examine the, the miracles that were done throughout the Gospels, Jesus did it so different each time. And, you know, how, how we want to go and find the magic formula. Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, and shoved it in the guy's eyes. So that's the spit and be healed. Okay, new denomination, spit and be healed. Let's do this. Everybody gather up here. Let's, let's hawk it out and spit on the ground. And let's make mud and shove it in each other. I mean, you know, we're, we're just, we want formulas instead of the Father. We want methods instead of the Master. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. You made your way here to me. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Sometimes we don't want the peace, we just want to be healed. And the Lord wants to do something greater in our life. Right now, I'm telling you, in the midst of your desperate life situation, Jesus wants to work in the middle of it. He wants to come and be involved in your life situation, and he wants to bring his peace and his perspective. Because we lose perspective when things get desperate, don't we? We panic. But we, that's when we need Jesus to give us that hope, to give us that perspective. Lord, put your peace, put your spirit in my heart. Push the clouds away. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know when it's going to stop. And I'm, I feel hopeless. Please come and be with me in the midst of my life situation. Sometimes the long-term infirmity we fight with is an addiction. Sometimes it's how we run from conflicts. As soon as things get difficult, we run. We never deal with conflicts. It's become a habit since we were little, and now we've perfected it to an art. Sometimes it's compromise after compromise after compromise in relationships. But that's just the moment where it's time for us to follow the witness of this unnamed woman. To find your way through the crowd to get to Jesus. But her intrusion into Jairus' urgency was probably not appreciated by Jairus. He didn't care what her situation was. My situation's more important. And... <clears throat> And you know, it, I, I, I'm guilty. I've, I've been there. Lord, how come, how come you bless that person and I'm in such need and you're not coming through for me? That's not, come on. Yeah, you know, I know what they're like. How can you do that? You just bless them with this new job opportunity and, and I'm losing my job. That's not fair. And sometimes we lose perspective on how desperate that person is and how God showed mercy 
and our need is so urgent, we, we, we lose perspective of what other people are going through. And by the way, the, again, reading those prayer requests with what's going on in your life, um, man, oh man, you know, asking God for his mercy on your life, but, but not just fixing the circumstance, but entering the midst of it and bringing his healing on the inside first. And I want to put up that number again for those of you here and those of you watching online and Grace FM at 720-336-0897. You need to get a group of people praying over your situation. If you believe in prayer, if you believe that God hears prayer and that he answers prayer, you really need to just use that opportunity because we want to pray for you. So in our chapter here, we've looked at the desperate request as Jairus runs out and finds Jesus. His daughter is at the point of death. But then in the midst of it, there's this desperate breach. And she's healed. Her life is transformed. You know, while Jairus was having all kinds of hopes and dreams and joy in the first 12 years of his daughter's life, this woman, over the same 12 years, was going through difficulty after difficulty after problem after weakness after ostracization. Such an opposite picture over 12 years. But now she's healed. And then the final section, verses 35 to 43. While he was still speaking to the woman... Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Very interesting. Verse 26 is very important because when what we have been praying for finally comes to a place where it dies. Hope is crushed. 
until Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. Not belief in belief, but believe in him. There is no way Jairus ever thought of asking Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead. His faith wasn't there. His faith had grown to the place to really believe that Jesus could heal his daughter, no matter how sick she was. But if she was dead, it's over. And I I like how Jesus dealt with this because the delay was going to bring greater glory to God and was going to increase Jairus' faith to the next level. When I come to that place where all my hopes and my dreams and my expectations and my long-standing desires come to the point of death, that's when Jesus says to me, don't be afraid. Only believe. I wanted him to fix everything and it all fell apart and it's over. Don't be afraid, only believe. What is God doing in the midst of your desperate life situation right now? He is constantly working. He is working in the midst of what's going on. I believe that with all my heart. Even though you don't see movement, because man, we desperately want to see movement. But sometimes what we're seeing is movement going backwards. Where is, where is he? He's working, but he's working his plan. And sometimes things have to be torn down before they can be built up. I know some of you, you know, you, you built your shed in the back, of the back of the house on the property and it worked for you, worked for your horses, but it wasn't according to code. And so it works for now until you try to sell your house and all of a sudden that whole section doesn't, it's not according to code and uh, you have to fix it. I've heard of some stories of people that have had to completely tear out a section of their house because it wasn't done right. Jesus wants to build our life his way. And sometimes he has to tear down before he builds up. Because he wants it to stand in the storm. Do not be afraid, only believe. It's interesting that Jesus didn't chide Jairus for his sense of hopelessness. You know, Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 tells us, a bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. Sometimes we can feel like we're just smoking candle wick. You know what that's like. You blow out the candle and right on the tip of the wick, there's this little glow and a bunch of smoke. And sometimes we feel like that. Our fire is out. It's out. And all that's coming out of our life is a bunch of smoke. There's no light. Maybe a little tiny little thing. And and we can think, okay, what use am I to God? I'm a bunch of smoke. I'm no light. 
So how does God see you? How does Jesus see you when your light has gone out? Maybe your parent, who was kind of rough with you, would always condemn you and put you down because you didn't perform. You didn't perform. You didn't perform. You're supposed to be up here. What's wrong with you? Constant negative input. Is that how Jesus is? No. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. And I would venture to guess that some of you feel like a bruised reed tonight. A bent over reed. And some of you just feel like your your light has gone out and you're a smoking candle wick. You know, Jesus doesn't come to you and go, what's wrong with you? You know, put you out. That'll teach you a lesson. No. He fans you into a flame. The Holy Spirit is at work to fan the flame back. Your light has not gone out. It just needs to be fanned into a flame. But you've got to let the Holy Spirit do that work. You've got to come to the place, stop the negative, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. Stop it. The Lord's got a plan for your life. You know, it's interesting in Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters. There was a movement there. And then God said, let there be light. Do you realize light is comprised of waves? Very fast waves. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. I need for the Holy Spirit to move over these waters to bring light back into my life. Do not be afraid, only believe. Why didn't Jesus just say, little girl, come forth, like he did to Lazarus? But he chose to do it this way, to take Peter, James, and John, which, by the way, was the first time out of three separate times Jesus took Peter, James, and John aside to deal with them regarding death and resurrection. You can look on up the other two in the Gospels. So he brought the father and the mother of the little girl in. But he had to get the the wailers and the mourners out of there. I mean, it was some kind of rock band that they had to get out of the house. Get the unbelief out of the room. And he received the ridicule and the scorn. He says, I don't care. Get out of here. She's only sleeping. And he went in with the father and the mother, Jairus and his wife, and Peter, James, and John, And he came up to the little girl who was dead on the table being cleaned up for burial. Already was going on. And it says in verse 41, he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Jesus touched a dead body, which made himself unclean. No, he took her uncleanness on himself. 
and it didn't deplete his holiness. We come to Jesus as we are with our uncleanness and he welcomes us because he bore our infirmities and our weaknesses and our uncleanness. Verse 42, immediately the girl arose and walked. Now, I mean, there's all kinds of amazing things here. Do you realize, I'm not sure how long she was sick, but she was sick for a while, it seems. And so when you're laying in bed in the hospital, let's say you've broken your arm or you've broken your leg or something else has gone wacky and you're in the hospital, do you know what physical therapy is all about? you know what has to happen with physical therapy to get your muscles back in shape because you no longer can bear the weight? She not only was brought back to life, all of her muscle structure was put back in order and her balance, and she walked. That's an amazing thing as well. For she was about 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement, I guess. But look at verse 43. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. Now, what about the mourners on the outside? They were busy playing their flute and doing their gig, and all of, all of a sudden she, she walks out. You know, gig's over. And it was amazing. Well, don't let anybody know it. Well, the whole town is going to know it. But for their sake, keep it your personal testimony. This is, this is what God has done in your life. Keep it with you. Let it change you first. And then he said that something should be given her to eat. Now, why did he? This is the only time that Jesus is recorded that he ever said that. I think it was for the sake of the father and mother to be able to express their care once again to their little daughter. How easy it would have been for Jesus to stand outside and saying, Talavakumai, come out. So she hops out. But here is this tender compassion of Jesus in the midst of such a drama and trauma that have happened in the house. I want to affirm to you tonight that Jesus still is full of compassion to your life situation. It's a tragedy what's happened. Not many people have experienced what you have experienced. But Jesus knows, and he knows what to do. But we have to go to him. We have to bring our situation to him, but we've got to lay it down and let go. Because if we're hanging on to it, we're missing what he's looking to do in the midst of it. As we've said many times, you've got to take the keys of your life and your situation and just lay them down at the cross and say, I trust you with my life situation. It's out of control, but you're in control. Help me keep my eyes on you.
Give me that ability and that power of the Holy Spirit to abide by your peace and your perspective because I can't do it unless you help me. That's the message from this chapter. Do not be afraid, only believe. But not just believe, I got to believe, believe, believe. No, it's not some kind of mantra. You put your absolute trust in Jesus, in his timing, in his plan, in his work to bring greater glory. I know I've touched on some sores tonight. And I can't promise you when you go home, everything is going to work out. Kind of like playing a country music record backwards. Everything goes back to the way it's supposed to be. But I can tell you that Jesus wants to bring the healing and the help on the inside first. And then you... You, you let him take your circumstance and do whatever he wants to do because he wants to bring greater glory than we can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father God, we're appealing to you for you to come in and do your special work in our life. You know what's going to be happening in our life. You know what's in the future, Lord. We can't just be protected from things that we don't want to see happen. Please have mercy. Please have grace. Stay with us, Lord. If you're with us, we'll be fine. But God in heaven, we pray for those that are so struggling right now with the life-debilitating circumstances. The marriage is failing. The kids are in self-destruct mode. Living in my vehicle. I'm going to prison. Jesus, be with us right now. Help us hear your word. Do not be afraid only believe. Help us to trust you. And Father, as we continue to pray here, there may be those here in our congregation or those listening online or listening on Grace FM. And I've been talking to them to their life situation. And really, you've been talking to them. Would you grant to them courage and faith? To have belief and faith to just take that step and turn it over to you. To turn the keys of their life over to you. Maybe some of you here tonight have not yet surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus because you're pretty mad at God for all that's happened. And the Lord understands your hurt, understands your reasoning, understands your pain. And he loves you because he understands you. 
And he knows that his love is the only thing that can heal your heart. And he wants you to stop fighting him. Tonight, if you're ready to stop fighting with the Lord and just say, okay, I will give you my life. Would you just pray along with me? And just say to God, God, I'm sorry. I humble myself to you. I believe you sent Jesus to bear my sin, to bear my punishment, and he died bearing my sin. But he rose again to show me that you accepted what he did for me. So God in heaven, right now, I surrender my life to you fully. Fill me with the Holy Spirit because I can't do it without you. Bring peace in my heart, even in the midst of this drama. And sort out my life, starting tonight. I believe with all my heart that if you've prayed that prayer and meant it in your heart, the Lord has met you and he's going to start that special journey in your life starting tonight. For the rest of us, Father, help us keep perspective and hear the words of Jesus, do not be afraid, only believe. And we lift all this up to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.